If you scroll through social media, there are a heck of a lot of marketing experts all screaming at you about how they have the way, the proven formula that will help you book more business overnight. Much of that advice is conflicting. And it also leaves you feeling like you need to be everywhere on all the platforms to grow your business. And that's tough, especially as a solo business owner who is juggling so much client delivery, sales, on top of all the marketing you should be doing. In this episode of the pod, we are doing something a little bit different. I'm sharing with you a roundtable I facilitated that brought together three experts, Diane Wingert, Pauline Wiles, and Elise Enriquez to discuss their challenges around over-marketing and how they are learning to do less marketing, but do it better. Tune in to identify where you're overdoing it when it comes to marketing and how to right size your own marketing strategy. Because one of the insights that I had from this discussion is that overmarketing can also lead to overgiving, and that has impacts on your business. We'll also cover the difference between being a creator versus being a business owner and how that impacts your approach as well. Whether you need help letting go of certain tactics or just want to dial in your own strategy, this discussion provides valuable insights for you, the solo business owner looking to streamline your efforts. So let's dive in. Welcome to Make Marketing Suck Less, the podcast that knows marketing is, well, freaking hard, especially when you're a solo business owner trying to juggle it all. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mazur, author of The Three Word Rebellion and founder of The Expert Up Club. Forget the latest marketing fads and tactics promising social media stardom. I'm here with research-backed strategies to help you clarify your message and get twice as effective with your marketing. And while I can't promise you'll ever love marketing, I'm here to make you hate it a tiny bit less. Welcome to the Over Marketing Roundtable. I am really excited to have this discussion today because the over marketing, under marketing dichotomy is something that I've noticed with myself and with my own clients throughout the years that we tend to be in either one or two camps. And before I started recording, Diane and I were talking about the fact that we probably swing from one extreme to the other at different times in our business. So with over marketing, it is, I'm going to call it a compulsion (laughs) to try to do all the marketing things. And part of it is there are so many different ways to market your business. There are so many different people telling you like, this is the way to grow your audience or be on TikTok because you'll have massive growth. And there's not a lot of people helping you discern like what is the right way to market our businesses. And I think when we start to over market and try to do all the things, um, it can have some negative consequences on our own personal well-being and also on the business. And I also wanted to have this conversation to help people figure out like, how do I discern like what is the right marketing strategy for me? What, whose voices should I actually be listening to when it comes to marketing my business? So I decided to bring together three experts who are all members of the Expert Up Club. And we're just going to have a conversation around what does over marketing look like? Why do we do it? And how do we right size our how do we right size our marketing? So with that, I'm going to first 
ask Diane, Pauline, and Elise to introduce themselves, to take a moment and do that. In the chat, I would love to hear from you, like, who you are, what your business is, and who you serve. So, Diane, I will let you take it away. Yay! For- I, don't, I don't know where I'm taking it, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Okay, I'm Diane Wingert. I uh, like to refer to myself as a recovering psychotherapist turned business strategist and coach. I work with ambitious outliers. I'm also the host of the Driven Woman Entrepreneur podcast and creator of the Boss Up Breakthrough. Um, and yes, I'm a card carrying, um, persistent, compulsive overmarketer. And you're going to hear all the juicy details, but that's enough for now. Thank you, Diane. Pauline. Hello everyone, I'm Pauline Wiles. I provide website strategy and website design so that when your ideal client checks you out online, your business looks amazing and they are excited to work with you. And yes, hand up here, another um, eager overmarketer. Excellent, excellent. And last but not least, Elise, tell us a little bit about who you are. Hello, my name is Elise Enriquez. I'm a productivity coach and I work with women who run small businesses and pretty much everything else in their lives. And I help them figure out how to make progress on what matters most to them while still enjoying the journey along the way. So I'm I'm the productivity dork for sure. <laughs> I, I also have the podcast of Productivity Shift. And uh, yes, yes, over, over marketed. Uh, I'm working on it. I'm recovering. I'm recovering. <laughs> Thanks to a Michelle. Recovering over marketer. I Thanks also, to you, Michelle, I have to say. <laughs> I also am a recovering over marketer. So the first question I have for our panelists, and I would love for, for people who are listening to this to reflect on this as well. And you can tell us what you're thinking in your chat, in the chat. Like my first question for you is how does over marketing show up for you? Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I'm happy to start. <laughs> okay. Yes, at least. <laughs> just, just you even saying it, I feel stress. It feels like I, I, you know, people talk about FOMO and I am, I am definitely can be a FOMO person. Mm-hmm. And I think with marketing, when I see other people doing really creative things on all these different platforms, or even a lot of creative things, even on the same platform or the same thing, it's like, oh, I should be doing that. Like they're doing well with that. I should be doing that. And it feels like this constant FOMO, this constant, like that I'm missing out on an opportunity. And it's ridiculously stressful to me, like to just think of like, what am I not doing? What am I doing wrong? How could I be doing it better? It's like a constant FOMO and constant second guessing of how I'm spending my very precious time. Like our time is precious. And like, I don't want to spend it all on marketing. Mm. So that's, (laughs) that's what it feels like to me. All right. Diane? Well, at the risk of this sounding like a 12-step meeting, I think that uh, I think that even though I am intelligent and educated, I'm also impulsive and gullible. So when I see a new platform, a new piece of technology come out that promises to take one piece of content and repurpose it for you so that it can be distributed on all the platforms, I would literally think I was a dum-dum not to go for that. And unfortunately, there are so many of these platforms proliferating that once I buy a subscription, of course, I feel compelled to use it. And next thing you know, I'm literally trying to be everywhere all the time, but I don't even go in those places anyway, so I'm not engaging. And then I'm guilty of what has been called spray and pray or the old spaghetti stick, you know, thing. (laughs) And I'm like, why am I trying to put my stuff out in all these places when I don't hang out there? I don't even know what this platform is for. And I have zero clue whether the people that I want to connect with would even be here. So it's, there's the overwhelm and the stress that that Elise spoke of, but for me, there's also kind of shame mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 stupidity. It's like I feel like I need to do this, but I don't. I can't justify why, and yet the decision to stop doing it also feels really hard to make. It sounds a lot like the underlying like motivations, like Michelle, for for you guys to do duped the duped podcast, right? Yes. Like- there are there are people out there we're we're being duped constantly about mm-hmm. marketing and i i feel like that's what you're kind of getting at diane 
I, I, I'm, I'm hooked, reeled in, and flopping around in just about everybody's boat. And even though I know it's happening, I'm still doing it. Yeah, I mean, all right, I'm going to let Pauline go, and then I'm going to give you a couple of observations from this. <laughs> how about you, Pauline? How, how does over-marketing show up for you? Yeah, well, the feelings, um, Elise said stressed. I would also say frazzled, overwhelmed. Um, yeah, it shows up for me because I actually quite enjoy marketing. So I'm curious and eager to try various tactics. And it doesn't feel onerous for me to take on some new marketing idea. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, it's not sustainable because then when work does come in, um, we feel like we're on the hook and we've started these things. Yeah, there's that whole spray and pray that you're not then following through. Um so even though the temptation is there and it seems kind of fun and enjoyable, the reality is that I can't then keep the energy going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, what I'm finding interesting from this, it's just the, the FOMO because we see people and we're like, oh my gosh, they have their marketing all together. But in some ways, we don't actually know if that's working for them right like we see them and it's like oh it looks great or they get all this they have a huge audience and you're like oh it must be working but is it really and i feel like that's one of the things that we're not taught to assess with marketing like how do you know if it's actually working for you because we just make these assumptions so i i found i find that really interesting um and Tina, Dr. Tina said, I can't stand, I can't stand for the whole thing, but I feel like I'm wasting a lot of time doing the wrong things and it's stressful for it not to work. And I, and I think, so I'm just curious to hear from you, like, what's one thing that you tried with your marketing that you wish you didn't, <laughs> or if you could go back in time and make a different decision? TikTok. Here's the thing. I freaking love TikTok as a consumer, and I, I have enough self-awareness to realize I have to put a time limit on it or the rest of my natural life will disappear. Um, but I started a TikTok channel for repurposing my own content and it, it took all the enjoyment out of TikTok for me because each platform has its own culture and mm -hmm. each platform has its own learning curve and I was literally spending so much time trying to figure out how to do TikTok the right way that it ruined the experience of being on TikTok for me. So I finally closed the, my channel down and now I just lurk and watch other people's stuff and I enjoy it all over again. TikTok, I swear, I have to t talk people off the edge with TikTok all the time. Like I'm working with a client and she works with CEOs, like B2B CEOs. And she's like, I want to start a TikTok channel. And I'm like, no, your people aren't there. I'm like, if you want to start a TikTok channel because you want to enjoy creating on that channel and it has nothing to do with your business, you can do that. Like TikTok can just be a fun hobby that you do, but don't think it's going to be the best place to market because like your people aren't there. CEOs of like small businesses or medium-sized businesses are not on TikTok looking for professional development. But Michelle, don't you think that's really the thing? Because they may be on TikTok, but they're not there for that. Like, it's kind of like seeing your dentist in a bathing suit at the beach. You're like, no, <laughs> like, yeah, they're out, they're out of context. You know, I mean, like, I don't want to see, even if my audience is there, they probably aren't there to see me doing my business marketing stuff. So yeah, it's kind of like read the room, right? You're like, read the room. I'm here for some enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. true. I think, I think for, I'm so glad I was like trying to think like, what would it be? What would it be? Uh, so I'm glad that you mentioned like a specific platform, Diane, because for me, um, a little bit of it's like the specific platform, but it was like creating a Facebook group. Because back in the day, it was like everybody had to create a Facebook group and you try to get yep. all these people in the Facebook group and you try and and I totally it's it still exists. I haven't shut it down, you guys. So let this be let let this be the stake in the ground. Do you need Elisa's some accountability? I had to yes. mine last year yes. too. Yep. Elisa's shutting down the Everyday Matters Facebook group. I haven't posted on there forever. I used to have all these like automated posts. Like I had put so much work in like all these awesome posts and all this awesome stuff. 
and nothing came out of it. I didn't know what I was doing. I just was told to do a Facebook group. And so then it just became this big representation of guilt and failure instead of like, it didn't even feel like an experiment. It just felt shitty or I'm sorry. It just felt really bad. (laughs) Okay. I I was like, I think we're in a safe place here. Um, And so for me, yeah, it was having that Facebook group. And it was, what's so funny is a client of mine, I just worked with her to get her. Uh, oh gosh, there's the the little reactions on Zoom. I just worked with her to get hers um, to have her shut hers down. I'm like, wait, I'm being such a hypocrite right now. Like, mm-hmm. I like, why am I not doing the same? So by end of year, it's gone because I am not carrying that forward into 2024. Honey, how about the end of the week? Well, there's reasons for that, but yes, okay. <laughs> soon, soon. I promise. I promise. <laughs> but you know what? Elise is bringing up another really important point because sometimes it's not just because you're impulsive AF like me, but it's that you were part of a group or you paid a coach or you were part of a program and you wanted the result that they promised and they mm-hmm. told you, you need to do reels three times a week or you need to have a Facebook group or you need to long form, short form, like whatever. Um, And you didn't want to, you wanted to do everything that you were told to do because we all believe if we don't follow the directions, we're not going to get the desired outcome, right? (laughs) I mean, we've all been conditioned to be good girls and follow Mm -hmm. the rules, right? So if I don't follow the rules, is that the reason why I'm not winning? You know, we don't know. And it's very hard not to follow up on advice that you've paid to receive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's why like, I approach my work as like, I am marketing agnostic. I really believe that any marketing strategy, any tactic can work if you have your message dialed in and you actually want to do it. <laughs> Like, you know, if somebody comes to me and they're like, I hate Instagram, I'm like, then don't be on Instagram. There's a million other ways to like build your brand awareness and grow your audience. So I don't want to let Pauline off the hook. Like what's a marketing (laughs) thing you tried that you wish you didn't? Well, before I share that, Michelle, um, Mm -hmm. that angle of being marketing agnostic. No, I've forgotten that. So I'll share the thing that you wanted me to share. (laughs) Okay, so the I'll share a real life tactic. So one thing that I've done to market my business, and with hindsight, I wished I hadn't, I've gotten on planes and traveled to conferences to deliver workshops on websites and website design, with the hope that that would generate business for me. Mm. And that is a very big gamble with time and energy. And um, once or twice, it pays off. But sometimes that feels like something I wish I could wind the clock back on. Yeah. Yeah. I even local events, like even not having to fly somewhere and get a hotel, like the, like I, I wish I, I wish the expert up club existed sooner. I wish I would have worked with Michelle sooner because had I had my messaging in place for all of those things that I said yes to in, in terms of speaking engagements and stuff, which I don't even like doing speaking engagements. Right. But even even if I at least would have had my messaging in place for those, it would have been so much more helpful to my business. So much more helpful. So yeah, it doesn't even like, yes, extra painful when there's additional expense and even just having to drive somewhere. <laughs> having to put and on pants. Come having on. to put on pants. <laughs> I mean, I am wearing g- actual jeans right now, not <laughs> yoga pants, but still. <laughs> but but I am wearing slippers. I am wearing slippers. Because having to put on actual shoes these days, I'm like, having to put on shoes and go somewhere, it better be freaking worth it. And you can't, it can't be when your messaging isn't lined up. Like that's like how I would, I hated networking. I hated going and being at networking groups mm. because it never felt like it paid off. But I think it was because mm. I was like, I didn't really know what to say. I didn't really know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, like a, a couple of observations, like I too had a Facebook group like back in the day that hung over me like an albatross and how how i shut it down is like one day i was just like 
I am done wasting my energy thinking about this. And I just closed mm -hmm. it. There was no post that I was closing it. It didn't serve a business purpose. Like I didn't know how to use it in my business effectively. It was hard to get engagement. I'm like, why am I stressing out about this thing that I created that actually isn't really doing anything for my business? And I do think it's that deciding not to do something is so hard because there's always a part of you like, well, but what if, like, what if I should do something with this? Or like, what if I need it in the future? And I'm like, oh, mm. <laughs> but you know what? Can, can we talk about a couple of other nuances about this, like sunk cost fallacy mm -hmm. and inertia? Because a body at rest remains at rest, but a body in motion remains in motion. And if you are accustomed to doing your, you got your Trello board, you got your VA, you're doing your post in your stupid Facebook group. It, it's almost like you can't stop because you're like doing it. And also the sunk cost fallacy, you know, the hardest thing for me about shutting down the Facebook group was having to face myself and realize be you put three years of wasted energy, focus, time, attention, and dollars into this freaking sinkhole because you didn't want to face it sooner and make a decision that you weren't 100% certain about. It's like, oh my God, of all the decisions we have to learn to make in business, if I could change one thing, I would make decisions faster especially about what to let go of. Well, and, and I think too, Diane, what you're getting at is Michelle, you hinted at this sooner or earlier too, is that it's hard to make the decision when you don't know what the data is you should be looking at. Like, how do I know? Like, I just set up a Facebook group because everybody was setting up a Facebook group and that seems like the thing I should do. But how do I know I'm winning at that? How do I know it's beneficial to me? What are my measurements, right? And if I'm not doing that, then it makes it really hard. To, like, I could like, is it just based on the fact that people commented? Is it based on the size of the group? Is that growing my list? Are those people react responsive on my list? You know, it's like mm -hmm. there was no criteria except that after a while it just felt bad, right? Which is fine, but by by the time it's getting there, you know, <laughs> that's not helpful, right? So it's like I think I think what I know I'm wanting to work on, especially as, as I navigate my way through the expert up club is being able to know, like, what are the ways I can measure the success of something to see how my experiment is actually going? I'm happy with running experiments, but I don't always know how to measure how well it's going. Cause then I don't know what to tweak. And then it's yeah. like, I guess I just toss it. I guess I just toss it. Right. Or I guess I just let it sit. <laughs> And maybe it'll yeah. die its own death somehow. <laughs> maybe Facebook will just archive it. But um, y'all don't seriously. I, I'm killing the group. Don't worry. I'm killing the. I'm killing my Facebook group. <laughs> and Veronica um, says that she's also terrible at tracking data. So yeah, Pauline, yeah. what were you going to say? Oh, sorry, I've noticed already. Is it? It's so much easier to identify when somebody else is dying to stop doing a tactic and encourage them. I saw that between Diane and, and Elise. Um, but it's very hard to do that for ourselves. So mm -hmm. maybe um, maybe buddies are the answer for telling us when to pull the plug on something. Yeah. No, even with encouragement, it's hard because yeah. our brains are always going, what if, what if, what if? And I think that's a good thing. I think curiosity is fan-freaking-tastic. But it can also be like a thought loop that there really isn't any way to close because nobody can predict the future. Mm-hmm. All right. So I am also curious, and I also would love to know in chat from the people who are listening, like, what drives you to over market your business? And I will start first, because this has always been something that I am keenly aware of. Whenever I'm feeling scarcity in my business, like, there's a cash flow issue or a launch isn't going as well. I always am like, okay, what can I do more of? Like, maybe I should be more on threads or maybe I should be doing more personal outreach or maybe I should send more emails or maybe I should do like this other thing because I'm like, I'm just grasping and I feel like it's that scarcity and panic. 
that it's like, oh, this, you know, because for all of us as solo business owners, like our the money our business makes is intimately connected to our livelihood and paying ourselves. So when something isn't going well, it's like, okay, what else can I throw at this thing to make it work? And Tina's like, yeah, fear, like fear and scarcity. But uh, so I'm curious, do any of you have that experience or is it something else that's driving you to overmarket? Pauline? Yeah, ditto, ditto, it's fear. Um, fear, it's projecting future, future income, future revenue, and believing that I have to do more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, The word that popped into my head immediately when you said it before you even answered for yourself, Michelle, was desperation. That was like, when you was like, what causes you to overmark? I'm like, um, desperation. And that's, but it is that same thing. It's that scarcity feeling. I, this has been such a hard year in my business. And I know you just wrote uh, an email about this and you and I've talked about this. Um, and I, I loved that. I loved what you had to say uh, this week. Thank you so much. Um, I was already sharing it with a client. Uh, but anyway, I, this year has been hard. It's been so, it's been my hardest year in my business since my first year in my business. And I'm 14 years in. <laughs> and there's there's like lots of, there's other complicating components, but it's also just been a hard year. And I have felt the most desperate about my mark and like, in, in like theoretically confused and overwhelmed by marketing this year than I ever, ever have before. And I really do tie it back to like, like you were saying, um, uh, sorry, Pauline, I uh, like you're saying, Pauline, like being it like that, like projecting forward and like, oh, what does it like, what do things look like? And it's like, okay, I got to get, I got to get my myself out there. I got to get the message out there in some way, some form. And so, yeah, I think that absolutely mm-hmm. uh, is, I'm like, just even talking about, it, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm yeah. re-traumatizing myself right now. <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Deborah asked like, what is the definition of over-marketing? So to me, Overmarketing is when we try to do too much. We're trying to do like the way that I always see it show up is they're like, oh, well, I am on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. I want to do podcasting and a YouTube channel and I want to e- have my email list and uh, probably like a webinar masterclass thing. And maybe I'll do a summit like that's an extreme version, but it is a version I have seen before. And, and a blog, too. And a blog. Oh, yeah. And a, blog. <laughs> and so, a micro podcast and private podcast as well. and an SEO strategy. So they're trying to do all the things because they think that they need to. So it's, and it's really over marketing to me is doing more than what your capacity allows you to do and splitting your focus and attention among multiple things instead of discerning the one or two things that really work for your business. Because Pauline and Diane and Elise hear me talk about this all the time, but I really look at marketing as having three jobs. Like, so there's a job to grow your audience and your brand awareness. And you need one strategy or tactic to do that. And that could be like, yeah, I'm going to be on LinkedIn or I'm going to do like a summit or do podcast interviewing or speaking or, you know, or one of the other social media platforms, but you just need one of those. And then you need a way to the second stage is like engaging, like knowing how you're going to nurture and lead people to your work. And that's usually a podcast or a blog or a video, not all three, usually with some email marketing tied in or a really good CRM. And then you have to know how you're going to invite people in. So that's the offer stage. Like, are you doing consultation calls? Are you doing like I do open houses for the expert up club and consultations for my one on one work. But I see people trying to do so much instead of being like, okay, like, what's the one thing if I'm going to go in on social media, like you need to be present on that channel, just because you can repost doesn't mean you should. So to me, it's like, (laughs) I guess like the basic definition is like half-assing a bunch of marketing stuff to and hoping that you're going to get a result from it so and the universe I find is quite cruel because it does bring me results from myriad places (laughs) and that then serves as encouragement to keep going so um I almost wish that some of my efforts would be a bigger faster flop than than they are (laughs) 
Mm. Totally. I get like, I'm like, I'm just only Instagram, at least just stay on Instagram. And then of course, like some of them, like I, like, I kind of like find some of that's going to feed over to my business Facebook page. I kind of don't care anymore. I'll just let it go there or not, but it doesn't go to LinkedIn. Like I used to, everything just went everywhere. It was ridiculous. And I was never on LinkedIn. So anyway, it goes to Facebook, my business Facebook page and and like people start commenting there, but but I'm like, but they're commenting there. I'm like, I don't care. Like, why am I, why am I like, just don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. I'm just going to stay here. I like it here. I like being here. (laughs) But I have to say the, um, the grow engage offer, like I talk about it with myself all the time. Like the, the biggest relief I got. And I think I, we talked a bit about this when you're on the podcast, Michelle, where you were like, I want experts are are doing too much marketing. They need to mark. They need to do less. They need to do less. And I'm like, that's probably shocking for people to hear from somebody like you. And it was such a relief. And to have it in a model like that, where it's like, I just need, I just need one grow method method. Like just pick one, right? Like it just was, it just was a relief and it allows me to focus. And it doesn't mean I don't get tempted, right? It doesn't mean there aren't other like sirens calling out to me, but um, it's, it's a relief. It's helpful. Yeah. Yes. All right. So I, I have a confession to make as we're talking about all of this. Like I'm coming to the realization that I really need to let go of LinkedIn and it's really hard to let go of LinkedIn. Hmm. Like, cause I've gotten, and it's, I think it's what Pauline was saying. It's like, you get these glimmers of results from different places and then you're like, but is it doing what I need it to do? Because I really want LinkedIn to bring people to my email community. And when I look at that metric, it's not doing its job. Like, yes, my LinkedIn following is growing and my email list isn't. But but I'm feeling like I know that's what I need to do. Like it needs to go bye-bye because I've given it a good six months. And still it's really hard to be like, but what if I just tried this one other thing? <laughs> Let me try this instead. So I really, I really feel that. And that brings us to the last question before I open it up to everyone to ask questions or share insights. Um, how are you right-sizing your own marketing? I would say really it is focusing on the grow engage offer. Like I am, I'm just like, okay, what's it? So I'm, it's, it's interesting because it means I'm actually doing something new in the long run, right? That, so I'm working on building a, a quiz around productivity personalities so that I have something to offer when I'm guesting on podcasts. Cause I don't really have a freebie I've ever been excited about. I've never had like at all. Like I don't, cause I don't like PDFs. I don't like, I don't like any of that kind of stuff for some reason. Like there's just nothing I've been excited about offering <laughs> to get people to like join a list, for example. And so, and I love being a podcast guest. So it's like, I want to have at least something, you know, I can point them to my podcast, I can point them to my Instagram, and that's all well and good. But in terms of saying, actual email list growth, so actually growing that list, um, I wanted to have something I was excited about when I'm guesting. And so uh, being able to say, okay, that's the thing. That's it. I'm going to be guesting on podcasts. And that's what I'm offering, right? That or in terms of on the podcast. And then with the Engage, it's my own podcast, which I love doing. And then, you know, offers are offering as I go, but I have my email list that I'm growing. And so just having like, seriously, I just like, I love a good model (laughs) and a geo, if you will, geo grow engage offer is a great, it's a model that just brings me peace and focus. And so I feel like Mm -hmm. I am starting to right size my marketing, even though right now there's a little bit of a, a heavy lift on creating my quiz. It feels fun and exciting and I have the right support for it. I'm I'm working with somebody to make that happen. So I think that's the other part is like for the stuff that I really am struggling with or don't know what to do, I'm just getting support. I'm investing in myself. I'm investing in the expert up club. I'm investing in that quiz work, right? Just I think that's what's helping me to right size things is to follow a model and get help. Diane or Pauline? What I'm realizing it's not a direct answer to the question of how am I right-sizing. It's what's helping me make the decisions about how to right-size. What I'm realizing, even new insights in this conversation, so I thank you to my peers for this. When we're trying to be too many places, 
we may actually be interfering with people's ability to hire us. Because for example, if you're being on a bunch of different social media platforms, you're giving people a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Now, what incentive do they have to get on your email list if all they're going to get is a collection of those little bits that they can already get without giving you their email? Mm -hmm. And so I'm realizing that by giving people just enough to, you know, scratch the itch or get the little squirt of dopamine in the moment, I'm actually interfering with them having any reason to give me something in return, like their email, so that we can actually start to develop more of a relationship that's back and forth as opposed to me just putting stuff out and I don't even know who's seeing it. And that for me, it's like, oh, yeah, I got to pull way back because I'm literally working my ass off to do something that is counterproductive. Yeah, so that just really landed. I feel like the like the elevator cables just got cut and I'm like, Phoom, you know, like, but I needed to realize that because realizing that now I'll be able to go to, okay, look at all the things that I'm doing, what needs to shrink what needs to change, what needs to go will be so much easier. That's huge. Pauline, how about you? The thing that's helping me, and Michelle, you gave this advice in a different context for a different conversation quite recently, is if in doubt, start with the information or the data from the people who actually hire you. So <laughs> I'm forcing myself to acknowledge that if I look back at the clients I've worked with this year, um, there is an overwhelming way that they say that they have found me and discovered me um, on that search engine optimization. So oh. I, I cannot escape the truth that my efforts there are actually paying off and they're paying off um, out of proportion to anything else I'm doing. So really, that's that's my information on where I need to lean in very, very um, <laughs> in, a, in a very focused way. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Congratulations. That, I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that clarity. Like, yay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, no, I think it's so good when you're like, oh, everyone is finding me through search engine or people will be like, oh yeah, most of my clients come through referral referrals or word of mouth. And I'm like, you realize that's a marketing strategy, right? <laughs> that you can build out and optimize. So I think that's a really great thing is to look at the people who are paying you and where are they coming from? How are they discovering you? Because that will tell you what, where you should be marketing, where you should be spending your time creating new relationships. And I'm like, no, because so many are from speaking engagements. <laughs> that I don't like doing. But but what I am doing though is finding like what are the ways I like to do that. So the last speaking engagement that I just did, it was me and another coach and I said, "Yeah, we're not going to be doing a presentation. We're going to be having a conversation about like how we wrap up our year and plan our year and then it's going to be half of it. it's going to be live Q&A." And they were like, "Okay." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, great. Best like speaking engagement I've ever done." <laughs> mm -hmm. Like well, put me on a panel, let me do Q&A, like I kill it. I kill it. It's the best energy I could bring. Make me present slides now, right? But still, the, it is that live engagement, right? And that is referrals and speaking engagements is a lot of where I, where I get it from. But that's also why I want to do more podcasting and have more of like authentic real me come through is when I'm in conversation with people. Yeah. So dang it, Pauline. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, and I think what I love about that is like you're taking control of how you want to show up in that marketing when you're speaking. Like Sir Richard Branson does that all the time. He does not give speeches, but he will have a conversation. He will answer questions. He does not want to give a keynote. And he takes control of that. And I think we can all do that a little bit more with our yeah. marketing. I just need Dame Elise Enriquez, I think. <laughs> Since he's a star, if I just get that going for me, I think I'll be set. So just become a British citizen. So this is how you right size your marketing. You become a British citizen and then you can be, get knighted or get damehood and then you can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> Start getting that crown made right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So I would love to hear from everyone listening. What were your insights or if you have a question or if you want us to help you figure out if you should let go of a certain marketing tactic, you can let us know. I see that Veronica wrote that she's tragically under marketing right now, <laughs> but Veronica also just had a baby. Like, I know that about you. But historically, it feels like if I just do more and I'm in all the places, people will find me. For example, Gary Vee, be everywhere. That omnipresent message. Oh, Gary Vee, such a fraught relationship with him in my head. Because <laughs> he wants you to like crush it and be omnipresent. And meanwhile, he has a freaking camera crew following him around, turning everything he says into content that can be broadcast. And as solo business owners, we don't have that luxury. Veronica asks, what do you think of the newest trend of putting content behind an opt-in wall? example an ig broadcast channel Ooh, and also i think i would consider like substack as well would probably fall into that i'll let you all go in a minute but i have opinions on this and i think it's the fundamental difference of figuring out if you are a creator or a business owner. So for business owners, we are creating content. We are creating marketing with the purpose of leading people into working with us. Whereas creators create content because they want to get paid for creating content. And that payment can look like your Substack, it can look like your Patreon, it can look like sponsorships for your newsletter. And so I think it's for business owners, we have to be because it's really t I say this, like I have a Patreon for duped, like I consider that my creator hobby over there. <laughs> but, um, but we have to be intentional of like, how do you want to get paid? Do you want to get paid through brand sponsorships and $7 a month subscriptions from people who want to read your stuff? Or do you want to get paid from selling your thing? I have to say that was the best thing for me to think about what I can't remember whose podcast you're on. You're on a podcast. Oh, it was with Jeremy, Jeremy N's roundtable yeah. discussion yeah. with yeah. Jay Klaus and Jay Kunzo, who are exactly. both creators. They're mm -hmm. both creators and Michelle is an expert, right? Selling services. And for you, for that voice to be in that discussion was so helpful for me in clarifying my podcast intentions, right? It's, it's completely changed how I do my podcast, how I've done my podcast this year is to be like, no, I, I am a productivity coach who sells that as a service. I have these offerings and this is what I do. And so I am not keeping content behind any kind of, you know, opt-in wall, but I am doing less free coaching, if that makes any sense, right? Like I, I'm just like, you know what? I'm kind of done doing free challenges and free this. Like if you want to be in the challenge, you're going to pay for the challenge. Part of it is just for that exchange of energy because I will freaking bring it no matter what, but I, I realize I'll bring it even more when there's like a nice exchange of energy mm. going there. But from a content perspective, it's like, no, like that content to me is to help them like, yeah, I would want to do a challenge with the lease. Like even if it's like a $9 challenge, I don't care, but like some sort of exchange of energy for the actual service I'm providing. I'm kind of like gotten on a little bit of a kick about that and it's, it's feeling really good <laughs> and it's working and it's working. Yeah. No, I love that, like that boundary. Um, and I think which is I different would, than an open house, right? Like I wouldn't charge like I know you don't charge for an open house and I wouldn't either because I'm not doing my work in an open house like that, you know, totally different thing, of course. Yeah, yeah. And like, I love like for me, like these discussions that I want to have with my community, like I just want to get to know people like I really <laughs> am hosting these because I want to hear other people's thoughts. I want to hear their questions. And I like facilitating things like this. Like it's something that I like have a strength in. And so, yeah, like I, but I'm very clear on like what is free and what is paid. Whereas like when you're a creator, like you still have that same, like you have to be clear on your boundaries, but you have to also then get clear on like, what is my paid content for? Or what, what is that doing for me? Whereas like when you're a business owner, like I really believe that every piece of content 
every piece of marketing you put out there, what even if you're posting about your cats, you should kind of know the strategy behind it and how it's leading people to your work. Well, and I think that even in this setting, like hearing the three of us like share where we've struggled or even like what we're doing to right size things, you could have coached all three of us and been like, you know, and we have a forum for that, the expert up club, right? We pay you to do that somewhere else. So you're not doing that here. And that totally makes sense, right? Like this is, this is a free thing that's happening right now. And it's a great facilitated discussion, which is different than providing your expertise as a coach for all of us. Like I'm leading a three day uh, annual planning retreat right now that was really reasonably priced. In the past, I've done offered for free, got very few signups. Now I'm charging for it and I almost met my goal for signups, right? It was very close. And I mm. set it up as a webinar format so that I could not coach people. I did that for two reasons. I wanted to make sure we got through the content and I gave everybody time and nobody could monopolize time, which sorry, I feel like I'm doing a little bit. Um, <laughs> I will stop after this, but also so that I couldn't coach people because that's not what that was. I wasn't getting paid to do that there. I have a much higher rate for that, right? And so it just has been, it's been helpful for me to think about like, what, yeah, what do I, what am I giving away that's content and what is my expertise and how do I like honor that? And am I valuing it very much? Am I, and because if I'm not valuing it, other people aren't going to either. Mm -hmm. Elise, you've taken us to a whole other level of depth on this topic of over-marketing because where we started was over-marketing in being in all the places. But what you're talking about now is over-marketing can also be putting too much into our free stuff, draining our resources, depleting ourselves, and maybe even causing some level of resentment that it's not working when it's up to us to figure out like how much to give and how much to hold back. And there are so many different voices on this. Everything from give your best stuff for free, Mm -hmm. because then people will think this is probably in an episode of dupe, uh, give your best stuff for free because then people will assume, wow, if she's giving this for free, can you imagine how good (laughs) And then your paid stuff is exactly the freaking same. Or give, 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 ask, you know, the whole Gary Vee. But it's Mm -hmm. sort of like figuring out what should be free, whether it's content marketing or other forms of marketing, like speaking, being on panels, being in summits, you know, teaching someone's community versus what you pay for. Because I think I've been guilty of, over marketing by like stuffing too much value in my free stuff so that people really don't have a reason to pay me. That's over marketing on a whole other level. Yeah. I mean, I also tend to be a chronic over giver. <laughs> like, because I feel like over marketing and over giving can, you know, definitely go hand in hand, where it's like, I'm trying to solve everybody's problem with my content instead Mm -hmm. of helping them be aware about what problem they actually have, right? Because that is valuable. Um, And what solutions are available from like a high level. And I remember um, in in the club, Bev Feldman, who was on the under marketing panel, she was had a new offer and she posted her email follow-up sequence for this offer. And in every single email, she's like explaining like what it is, how how to like basically get your email marketing to stop being a hot mess. And she has like these steps. And in every step she was like, and here's how to do it for yourself. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like you are trying to get them to hire you to do this. Why are you telling them how to do it? And she's like, oh, oh, I, I, I need to stop. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, yes. Like you can tell them what it is and why it matters, but you don't have to give them the how and they can still get, like, I think what we don't realize, especially being experts, is that people get so much from the what and the why, it can give them huge like epiphanies that you don't have to give the how for free. 
Yeah. It's like the people that are going to connect those dots are going to connect those dots and do it. Right. And, and that's, mm-hmm. and that's great for them. And the people who aren't are going to be like, can I get, Hey, can we talk, you know, can, can I get more here? <laughs> can I book mm-hmm. a consult with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deborah. So for all you podcasters, which I'm a wannabe will be, I've heard uh, a teacher say, don't tell everything in your podcast. So I suppose if you were smart, you'd figure out this is the level that I'm delivering and I'm not giving this solution during my podcast, or I have a feeling that I'd be like, blah, 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 all the things. <laughs> so um, I'd be the give it away person because I want to be so helpful. And I'm curious if you've um, consciously sorted out, like I never talk about this model or I don't go deep there, but that's the question. Decide in advance or not. I always decide everything in advance, but I am a chronic planner. <laughs> <laughs> everything is scripted and planned. Um, and there are times when I feel like it's necessary to go a little deeper into things. Like this, this podcast this past week is about experimentation and like how to run a marketing experiment. And I went a little deeper because I, I think it's important for you to know the steps Um And also, I have this feeling that even if you know the steps, it's still going to be a little bit hard to execute, like Mm there is some level of support. So I think that's the difference of like, yeah, I'm going to give you the overview for how to do this. But do I actually think you're going to be able to execute it without more support? And some people will, some people like they'll be able to run with it. They, you know, they're researchers at heart and they're just able to go with it. And other people are like, Oh, okay. That's where I'm going wrong, but I don't know what metrics to track, or I don't know like what my hypothesis should be for testing this marketing thing. So I think that's like, for me, it's like, just that discernment <laughs> of can I give like a high level overview of this and and am I giving everything away? Do I think that they'll be able to do it all by themselves? And I think as experts, it's like it can be easy to just say too much. It's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. And so it's like I I was more scripted this year. Um, and I was realizing it was getting a little bit in the way of me actually working on the podcast. And so I, and, and I also got new software where I'm able, I'm using Descript. And so I'm just like mm. speaking, like I have the outline, mm-hmm. but I'm just like talking it through and then editing it afterwards. Um, but that way I have a high level outline of what I'm talking about. And my episodes are like 15 minutes max, maybe 20. It just depends. And then sometimes I'll have guests, not very often anymore, but I do have guests sometimes. And sometimes those episodes will be longer, but that's just because I'm wanting to spotlight that guest for some, you know, for, and I feel like it'll help my audience. Um, But I really, uh, I really, basically, I paid attention to you, Michelle. I was just like, yeah, her episodes are short and they're powerful. Cause what mm-hmm, happened, mm-hmm. the way I hired Michelle, I've known her forever, like peripherally from like, because of networking, but I listened to her podcast and like binged it for an entire day while I was weeding in my garden. And they were also short and they were just nice and short, but they were, they gave me information that was helpful. They gave me information that helped me like see where I was at so I can make a choice about what I wanted next. And it just so happened to me what I wanted next was more help from Michelle. Right. But I could have got that help somewhere else if I, if I felt mm-hmm. compelled to, but I felt through the podcast that that helped me understand where I was at better so I can make better choices. And so that's where, like I was saying, when you were on that round table <laughs> with Jeremy ends, it was like that same kind of thing. Like that's the distinction between like having trying to sell your content, having your podcast get um, sponsored and make money off your podcast because of the content versus having your podcast really sell your services. Like it can serve people and, and sell your services. It can do both. And honestly, when I hear somebody tell me like, oh, I binged your podcast before I get on a consultation call with them, that is like a sign that these that they have done their homework, that they are ready, that they know my approach and my philosophy. So, mm-hmm. and it just makes sales so much easier because people are like, oh yeah, like you've been in my ears for like the past two weeks. And I'm like, great, because <laughs> I know my podcast works for that. 
But you weren't in, in like, for example, for me, you weren't in my ears in a way that was so freaking detailed that then I was overwhelmed and I just couldn't do it. Right. So I think that's like the thing is like you could have given you could have gone through each you could have made each episode twice as long, given me all the steps. And then I would have tried to do it and I would have been frustrated and I wouldn't have hired you because you frustrated me. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, or, or, it was like, or, sa- or satiated you at least, like yeah. just filled you up so much that you're like, yeah, maybe not now, you know, like yeah. But it wasn't that. It was like, no, this is where I'm at. This is what I want. Okay, let's do this. So and for yeah. you as a future podcaster, Deborah, it, it does take a little bit of skill and strategy, and you might want to work with someone on this. But but figuring out how to curb your enthusiasm for over delivering on the <laughs> podcast. Because that shit is very compulsive and mm-hmm. we find ourselves doing it in our marketing, in our coaching, in our everything. And that makes your business very heavy, exhausting. Excellent. Final thoughts that you would like to leave people with, like your big takeaway, what you are taking back into your own business. I would love to hear this from you. I would say get clear on whether you're primarily a service-based business and you work with a few ideal clients every year or whether you're running a volume business and you really need the big email list and the big presence and to be showing up in multiple places. Because I think one of my problems is I've been following advice from people who are who have the volume business model and I don't actually need that. I've got the relationships business model. And I just want to say that that is a really good point, like understanding how big of an audience you need based on your business model. Because if you are a creator and want sponsorships and to like have a Substack or a Patreon, like you need a much lo- like you need a huge audience. You need a large audience to pay yourself well from that. But if you're on the other spectrum and you just need you're looking for a few good quality clients per year, then you probably don't need to be like doing all the audience growth things instead, like focusing on like building those relationships. And if you're somewhere in between, like, since I'm moving into more of a community model, like I have to be focused on audience growth. My number one priority next year is growing my audience, but that's dictated, which is different when I was just doing one-on-one, right? Cause I didn't really have to worry about it. Now I'm like, Oh, I got to reach more people. So I think that's, thank you, Pauline, for sharing that because that's brilliant and so true. Diane, how I'm, about you? Oh, oh, Elise. Oh, I'm just saying I'm stealing Pauline's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, then I'll go to Diane. What about you? What was your takeaway? I'm reminded that every single person who's hired me in the last several years followed a very predictable path. They heard me as a guest on a podcast they follow. They found out I had a podcast and binged through some of my episodes. Maybe they checked me out on social. Maybe they got on my email list, but then it was the consult and then they became a client. So I should absolutely be placing the highest priority on being a guest on the right podcast. That is excellent clarity because podcast guesting is a great grow mechanism. It's a great way Mm -hmm. to build your audience or brand awareness as well. Mm -hmm. And meet cool people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Networking, meeting cool people. I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, thank you all so much for coming to this. Our next event is the Expert Up Club Open House, and I'll be sending out an email about that soon. But if you're interested at all, or in 20, in 2024, if dialing in your marketing and your messaging is on your radar, um, the Expert Up Club is a great place to do that. And you can always sign up at drmichellemazur.com slash open house. But thank you so much to Diane, Pauline, and Elise for this conversation. Thank you, Deborah, for your question because, yeah, figuring out how not to overgive so much in mm-hmm. our content is always going to be a challenge for us over marketers, but I also just think for us experts in general, like how do we put boundaries on it so that we are being of service of our audience and our business at the same time. 
So with that, thank you so much. I will send out the replay later today and I'll chat with you all soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. If the Make Marketing Suck Less pod is making your marketing more effective so that your clients can find and hire you, please share the show with a friend. The easiest way to do that is through Podlink. You can find the show at pod.link slash rebel, and that page will allow anyone you share the show with to subscribe and start listening in their favorite podcast player. That's pod.link slash rebel. The Make Marketing Suck Less podcast is a production of Communication Rebel. Our production coordinator is Jessica Gully Ward. The podcast is edited by Stephen Mills. Our executive producer is me, Dr. Michelle Mazur. The Make Marketing Suck Less podcast is recorded on the unceded traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, specifically the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, original stewards of the land past and present.